So this is Kim Davis and welcome to another DMN one-on-one and today I'm very pleased to welcome Judge Graham. Hi, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Now, Judge Graham from Ansira would have been true about a year ago, but now you're, you're out on your own. So tell us where you got to what you're doing today. Yeah, I'd love to. So it's been a great journey. been in digital marketing and advertising my, my whole career. So um, with my uh, previous business partner, started a company called SQ1, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Grew that company, sold it to Ansara, stayed on with Ansara as the chief marketing officer helped them get packaged in position and sold it to another private equity company and then just recently left on great terms, still have vested interest in Ansara and kind of started this new journey that I'm on today, which is helping companies scale with speed and using the fundamentals and the mistakes and the failures and the success I've had in the past 15 to 20 years to now help entrepreneurs and small businesses learn how to really grow and build big businesses. Yeah, so uh, very much a marketing, digital media background, and you're now teaching people about entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And of course, we'll, we'll put a link to, to uh, your new book uh, when we publish this, and it's called Scale with Speed? It is. And just come out. Yeah, it's coming in. Well, it's, it just finished. So in about 60 to 70 days, I'm actually going to have the physical copy oh, of it. Okay. But it's really cool. It's the speed formula, right? So there's mm-hmm. an acronym for speed. So it's start with your end game, right? Then it's pick your niche. Then it's execute with speed, energize your culture, and then dominate your top priorities. And that's the whole premise of the book. And it's coming really from a practitioner perspective. Yeah. And it gives people the ability to create processes and procedures to actually move fast and scale a massively profitable business. It's, it's interesting because I was looking through uh, some of the elements of the book, got a bit of a preview, and on the one hand, you're emphasizing the importance of testing and measurement so you actually know what's working, what isn't working. Absolutely. I guess any marketer is going to say, well, I understand that. But at the same time, you're emphasizing speed and urgency. Can you really do both? You, yeah, you have to. In this new economy, it's, it's fundamental. So I teach the core steps, and you have to have a foundation that allows you to test, measure, and optimize. And once you have that foundation, then you can move fast. And as things work, you accelerate those. And as things don't, you pivot them quickly. So the whole idea is you got to have the right structure to move fast. That's really, that seems to me to be central because it's all very well talking about speed and urgency, but unless you have systems and processes in place, things get lost, things like fall off the wagon. Totally, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Now, um, I'm assuming that you're kind of uh, technology agnostic in the sense that you're not saying you can, uh, this only works with certain uh, technologies, but from your experience, your background, you must have worked with marketing stacks. I mean, what kinds of things uh, is a business going to have to put together if it's going to be able to, you know, have the, that firm foundation? Yeah, totally technology agnostic, but the whole premise of speed and why you have to move fast is because technology is forcing us to do it, mm-hmm. right? Everything is moving so fast because of technology. I mean, think about the changes the iPhone's done in the last 10 years versus the last 200 years. And so when you look at an organization from a technology stack, you have to have a solid CRM system, a great ERP system. You know, if you're activating those customers, you need a DSP, you need a DMP. Those are core fundamentals to actually be effective it, what I would call the new CRM, mm-hmm. is all about relevancy. 
right? How are you making, providing utility to the customer's life and making it relevant? And if you don't have the right technology stack, in concert with the right marketing strategy, you're gonna lose. Yeah, now the new CRM, that's something we've been writing about and thinking about a lot recently because um, as you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm teaching you, but CRM comes from originally from a kind of a sales thing where you were just like tracking who bought what, where they were on the customer journey. But CRM now implies so much more. Uh, marketers need to have visibility into it. People are, are increasingly talking not so much about CRM as customer experience. And that comes back to the yeah. relevancy you're talking about, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, so I think the future of that is, is uh, I think a great point. CRM used to be a sales function. Mm -hmm. it, it totally, the, the lines, in my opinion, of sales and marketing have blurred together. If those two organizations aren't integrated and in concert, you lose in this new marketplace. And so back to the personalization and the relevancy, the future of marketing, in my opinion, is um, so you walk into Nordstrom's. Mm -hmm. I should have a relationship with that brand. When I walk in, they know because I've invited them into my life, what is my frequency? What are the things that I like? What, do I'm, what am I most likely to purchase? And literally provide me those offers and a planogram of that store to give me utility and relevance. Yeah. That's how the new marketing wins. And that relates back to urgency again, doesn't it? Because as consumers, we have these devices like iPhones in our pocket. We're used to getting what we want very fast now. And if a brand can't deliver, whether it be a product or service, we just move on, don't we? You know, a hundred percent. I think that, and this is a part of the speed. When you think about, so like today I'm wearing cowboy boots. I'm a cowboy boot guy. <laughs> when you think about the brands, Luke Casey and Justin Boots, they've been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Then there's a player in, um, called Tagovos, which are the boots I actually have on now, that just popped up overnight, literally within six to eight months, and is now competing with those brands, right? And the reason is, is because consumers are not loyal anymore to brands. Yeah. They're loyal to experiences and, and things become relevant. And the more transparent you can be to the, the customer and the more you're providing utility and the more that you're making things fast for the customer, make it easy to buy for me, make it easy to return for me, make it easy for me to interact with the product. When you make things faster and easier, brands start to win. Yeah, the example which always, I think, comes to people's minds is um, the success of brands like Uber and Lyft because the truth is we're in New York, but people <coughs> here, we may like, like the look of our yellow taxes, but we're not especially loyal to them because some of them are great, some of them are dirty cramps and yeah. not very convenient. So, you know, just because you've been around forever doesn't mean that you're going to continue winning. Yeah, and you know, that's a great example. You know, the word I like to, or the phrase I like to use when we talk about things like Uber and why Uber is successful is what I like to call is shared control. Ah. So when a brand gives me as the user a shared control, I can see when they're coming, I see who the driver is, it's on my terms. You have now, as a marketer, or as a, as a consumer, giving me control of that process. Whereas a cab, I don't have any shared control of that process. And that's something very important that brands need to listen to and adhere to these new customers. They want shared control. Yeah, and we, we also want to have a conversation with brands if we speak to them. We expect them to speak back to us, kind of like human beings, not like robots or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, another thing you talk about is, and you've already mentioned it here, is, is having a niche. Um, 
you're not going out there as a new brand just trying to sell any old service or product. You've got to identify your niche. Now, is that the same thing as needing to be disruptive, or, or is it different? Do you distinguish the two? I definitely so. I think they're two different things. I think they're both critical and important. So I have a phrase, an inch wide and a mile deep. I truly believe for you to be an expert, it has to be niche, right? There's so much competition in things. In true experts, you know, what is it saying? You have to have 10,000 hours to, to actually become an expert in something. And so if you're an inch wide and a mile deep at what you do, it allows your processes to be faster. Um, it allows your delivery to be tighter. It allows your people to be more aligned and focused. And for you to focus more on the needs and the pains of the customer when you become niche. And when you do that, it allows you to become a market leader because you can become the expert. Right. And then in conjunction with that, if you're doing something that's disrupting, that you're creating shared control with the consumer, then now you have a winning formula for a successful brand. Okay. Now, um talk about the end game and one of the tips you say is you start with your end game that you've had a lot of success in building big brands and then seeing them acquired very profitably does that mean what if I'm starting out if I'm a startup do I already need to be thinking about you know my aim is to be acquired my aim is this is that you really have to know where you're going I, I think so I mean I sit down with business a, a lot in entrepreneurs and I think fundamentally where you fail is people really don't, they started with this concept of what they want, but they haven't crystallized it. And I usually do that through a vision board to really go, what do you want out of your business and by what date? And those uh, things are monetary. Yeah. You know, you could say, you know, multiple houses, I want a Rolls Royce, I want these things, I want more time with my family. So it's, it's some tangible and intangible things. And when you do that exercise, it, it grounds you on, is that really what I wanted? because that effort is gonna be really hard, yeah. or is it something else? And it also gives you purpose now to actually work towards something. So I think it's critical, right? A lot of people, you know, if, and the most important thing out of it is if you're building a business to sell versus building a legacy business versus building a lifestyle type business, right. if you don't understand that going in, you're gonna make the wrong decisions along the journey that aren't gonna get you your ultimate result that you want. So there's all kinds of different outcomes you might be looking at, but you need to know which one you're heading Yeah, for. so exactly, like if I work with a business and they wanna sell it in five years, the structure of that organization, how they staff it, how they go to market, how they make decisions, how they take lines of credit, how they manage their um, P&L optimization, all those things are different if you're trying to build a lifestyle business. Okay, got it. Now, another thing I noticed, and this made me smile, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a journalist, so I think this is a concept which makes me very anxious, but you talk about a money sheet. What's a money sheet? Yeah, so I, I truly believe in any organization, I don't care if you're selling a product, or you're selling a service, if you can get your folks spending 75% of their time on revenue generating activities, you win, right. right? And so the money sheet is, it's a simple sheet that I created and I've implemented in my own organizations and others. And what it is, it's a sheet. It says money sheet on the top with a bunch of creative money. And it literally has your monthly revenue target. Right. It has a line for you to put where you are against that target as of that date. And then it says you need to list the six to eight top priorities that are gonna get you closer to achieving that revenue goal that month. And then no matter what you do, you have to get them done that day. 
Now, psychologically, what the money sheet does is, is it forces you to understand you have a number that you have to hit monthly, you've been asked to do. Then it creates urgency because you see either how close or how far you off that day. And then it forces you mentally to think of what are the things, the six to eight that I have to do in order to get closer to that number. Now, what's interesting how the human mind works, psychologically, when you put a number on anything, it makes it real. So by saying six to eight, it's forcing you to really come up with those things to deliver it on. And I've seen that if people will stay you know, habitual against this, try it for 25 days, your revenue outcome will change as an organization. Interesting. And is is this something you want people across an organization, different functions to be looking at, not Everybody. just the revenue guy? That's a great question. Yeah. I, I believe everyone in an organization should spend 75% of their day on revenue activities. Whether you're delivering the product, whether you're answering the phone, or whether you're the CEO of the organization, my systems show you how to formulate goals and activities against the greater cause of the organization down to a micro level daily. Okay, well, we've all got plenty to be getting on with there, Judge. Thank you very much. Everyone, it's Scale with Speed by Judge Graham, judgegraham.com. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me.